On today's episode, an injury update on shin splints. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Welcome back, Run Smarter Scholars. If you follow me on social media throughout the week, you'd know that the audiobook is available across all platforms. I was waiting a long time for Audible to approve it. They need to go through their own approval process. And so I used Findaways as like a distribution service initially. So I recorded the book, put it out there, and it was instantly available on several other platforms. But the most popular ones like Apple and Audible just took a lot longer as they went through their own individual process. And as I submitted it, Audible said, yeah, it takes three to four weeks. And usually when they say that, it takes like one to two, um, but it took about five to six. And I checked, I think it was last week, just checked on Audible, said, let's see if it's there. And then I searched it, wasn't there. Um, but then a couple of days ago, I checked and Lord and behold, the, the audiobook was there, Run Smarter. And I then received an email the next day saying, oh, by the way, it's available on Audible. So go check it out. I have had some great interest and enthusiasm from the comments on social media. People are excited to read it or listen to it now because I understand when I released the book, a lot of you reached out and said, you know what, uh, I love what you're doing. Uh, I'm just not a book person. I listen to your content when I run. I said, that is fair enough, but the audio book will be out soon. So now go nuts. Hope you enjoy. Let me know what you think. Reach out um, because it's my first book. This is my first audio book. I'm actually a little bit nervous about the quality and how I sound, you know, just talking, reading a book. Um, tried my best. Let me know. <laughs> All right. Today we have an injury update as we have been following this format for a while. I think this will be the last one because the other vote, which was um, the patrons sort of voted and 10% came in for calf and Achilles, which I haven't done yet, but I did do a calf and Achilles update with Luke Nelson. It was several months ago now, um, but that covers a lot. I think I've already covered a lot when it comes to calf and Achilles. A while ago, I had another few guests on to chat about that topic. So let's have shin splints and we can start getting into a few other um, shows coming up. Let me just tell you what's, because I've done it, I've started batching a few together. I've got one on injury prevention coming on next week. Um, I just interviewed Carrie Pagliano 
yesterday at the time of recording and we talked about postpartum running. Um, I'm going to do another podcast Q&A, so keep an eye out on social media as I'll be asking for your questions. Uh, I have a success story coming up that I'll record next week. I've got uh, another shoe specialist coming on, so again, I'll be asking for your questions. So plenty to get through over the next month or so. And I am going on annual leave, so batching some of these episodes will be good. Shin splints. So um, episode, the first shin splint episode that I did was, I think it was episode 30 something, 31. Um, It was titled Talking Shin Splints with Dr. Dwayne Scotty. And it was me appearing as a guest on his podcast, the Healthy Runner podcast, and We actually did a Facebook Live, which is how he likes to conduct his episodes. So I appeared, it was my first Facebook Live, and we talked about all about shin splints. And so we're going to do this a little bit differently, because as the past injury updates I have been doing, I've sort of recapped what the past episodes have been, uh, so everything's updated, and then I kind of spiel some new tips or revelations or things that I've learned in the last couple of years since releasing that episode, but I thought I'd do something a little bit different. I'm going to, as we go through the past episodes that have been on, I'm going to answer a couple of patron questions because I submitted that question um, this week to the patron group saying, okay, I'm doing shin splints this episode, any questions? Um, but then anything that I've learned, any anything new or anything I think you'll find valuable, I've sort of just sprinkled into this recap format. So it's all, it's not cutaway sections. It's all just, you know, blended into one storyline. So let's start off with the terminology. So on episode, on the first episode with Dwayne Scotty, I talked about the terminology and how the more accurate term is medial tibial stress syndrome for shin splints. So when we have medial or medial tibial, it just means it's on the inside of the tibia. So the inside border of the shin bone and stress syndrome. So it's applied by stress. But there are two competing or debating theories about the actual physiology of it, the pathophysiology of what causes shin splints. The first one being that it's mainly affecting the bone or like bending the tibia. And as you bend a certain bone, it creates a lot of uh, bone breakdown which if treated well, that breakdown is good because it stimulates the bone to rebuild and get stronger. But if you're bending it too much and there's more breakdown than there is buildup, then there's a, a bone stress reaction that starts forming. And the soleus attaches onto the tibia, actually attaches onto that medial border. So your soleus is that really strong calf muscle and as that muscle reacts, we know, well, you probably don't know, but the soleus acts six to eight times your body weight when you're running. Comes a little bit higher when you're running faster, a little bit more when you're running hills, but that huge tug of force onto that tibia bone can actually stimulate that bone stress. Like I said, that bone stress can be good, but need to have that even balance of build up and breakdown. So in other words, this first competing theory is that it's more of a bone stress reaction. Um, Maybe there's something to do with the outer lining of the bone that's causing that pain as it's sort of 
gets too much irritation from stress. But the other theory is that it's more of the, the connective tissue. It's more traction from that connective tissue attaching onto the shin bone. So whether that's important or not for you, probably not too much. I guess for researchers trying to really understand this condition, it is important. But for physios and for runners, we don't necessarily need to know what's actually going on at the, the cellular level, which I'll explain in a second. But then in terms of presentation, shin splints will cause pain on the inside of the shin. It's usually in the distal third of the shin, so closer towards the ankle. It's not really high up, like the upper half of the shin. You wouldn't see it there. It's quite rare. And the pain is usually spread across a couple of inches. Karen's patron question came in. She said, any updates on the bone versus muscular issues and or when you should be more concerned about the former being like a bone stress? Um, sorry, Karen, I am unsure if there are any new updates on those two competing theories and which one's sort of revealing itself as being most likely. Um, I will say though, if it is a bone stress reaction and it is being mismanaged and getting more and more irritated and starting to slowly fit into something that might present as a stress fracture, uh, there are a few things that you want to be aware of and you might need to be concerned. So that being uh, tenderness, if there's tenderness on the bone, like touching the bone, if that's sore, definitely a big, big flag that we should raise. Um, if it's sore with less loading, so yes, if it is shin splint, it'll be sore for if you start running, that's high volumes. If it starts becoming sore with less loading, like walking or just... Um, jumping or jogging on the spot for 30 seconds or hopping for 10 to 20 seconds. That can be quite concerning. An ache without load. So if you're lying in bed and you're noticing like a throbbing in that area, you might start to be a little bit concerned, but you'd get it assessed by that stage anyway. And if that health professional thinks it's worth checking for scans, then you know, you're know you sorting out, you're going through the right channels and the right avenues to getting a good diagnosis and then getting the right management or the right treatment. So thanks for your question, Karen. While we're on the topic, Craig, another patron, just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. And asked, what are the main causes of shin splints? So if we dive into the research, we'll see that females are a little bit more susceptible. Increased body weight. So if you're just that, if you're a runner, you're just on that little bit of a heavier side, or if you've put on five kilos in the last six to 12 months or so, uh, know that that increased weight, or if you have like a backpack, if you're a trail runner and you put a little bit too much in your backpack and it weighs a couple more kilos, um, that little increase in weight can potentially increase risk. I've also seen in the research that I think they mainly looked at military recruits, but those with shin splints who are heavier. So if you are in the heavier population and you develop shin splints, your recovery times are a little bit longer than those who weigh a bit less. Um, 
another risk factor the research has shown a navicular drop. So a navicular is a bone in your foot, which is kind of like at the top of your arch, you could say. And when you're sitting, we can measure how high off the ground it is. And then when you go up into standing, that navicular bone travels a little bit closer to the ground. And then we work out what the distance is, what we call that navicular drop. So from sit to stand, bone goes from here to there. That's the distance. Um, and those with a greater navicular drop seem to have an increased likelihood of developing shin splints. Or those who have shin splints have a slightly greater navicular drop. Another thing is a previous injury. So no matter what your injury, if you've had a previous injury in the past, you have a slightly increased risk of shin splints, which I think that's very similar to other running related injuries as well. You'll see a very similar correlation. There was a study done in high school students, just one paper that looked at a whole bunch of uh, a cohort and found that those who had a lower cadence and they classified the lower cadences <clears throat> below 164, they developed shin splints more than the other cadence groups. If we go away from the research and find a few other things that I think might cause shin splints, um, harder surfaces, especially like a transition to a harder surface that you're not used to. If you're used to running on grass or um, dirt, trail, and then all of a sudden you do a whole bunch of work on roads, definitely. Um, greater pronation or greater range of movement, um, particularly if it is more abrupt. So if you do have a greater pronation, you're probably at not as much risk than someone who goes to greater pronation more suddenly. So we're talking about sloped terrain. I've talked about that on some recent episodes now, but if you're running close to a bank or on sand or like on a beach or like a um, track and field, like if you're running around in circles, the running around the bend and running on that slope can cause more pronation on one side than the other. And if you're used to running on completely flat terrain, and then all of a sudden you do a lot of that sloped stuff that increases your pronation and that can cause an abrupt change to that pronation. So potentially that could be a risk factor. Um, I'm not sure about the hills. I recently listened to a conversation with um, Rich Willie, who's a researcher in the States, and he was saying that tibial forces are usually greater running uphill because like I said about the soleus muscle that attaches onto that shin bone and produces that six to eight times your body weight per step. If the soleus works harder, it's actually pulling on that tibial bone a bit more and causing more of that bone stress. But with the downhill, we're increasing our ground reaction force, which creates a bit of shock through the tibia. So I'm still, I'm not entirely sure, but there might be something there. Um, you might need to follow symptoms if, if, pain persists and you're finding that, oh, it's actually more irritated if I go uphill or if it's more irritated if I go downhill, just follow your individual symptoms. Listen to what your body's telling you. Um, just, you know, and just don't do anything too abrupt. If you're doing, if you, if you want to train yourself to do more uphill, just make sure you do uphill just a little bit more gradually. If you need to get used to downhill, introduce it gradually. Like with most things, be sensible, should be okay. The other thing, running fatigued, I guess, like if someone's doing a long run or if they're training for a marathon and they do have to push 20 or 30 minutes into feeling really 
fatigued and they're getting a bit sloppy. I guess the calf isn't working as hard at controlling the forces that are distributed through the tibia and it might <clears throat> slap, you might slap the ground a bit harder. Not too sure. I think there might be something there, particularly if you're noticing that these longer, more fatigued runs, you start developing these symptoms of shin splints. Um, you might find an individual connection there. <clears throat> On Dwayne's podcast episode, we also talked about pain during running and I mentioned that sometimes like lower pain levels seem to fare better. People seem to recover a little bit better. Most running related injuries, I'll say less than a four out of 10 is good. Um, so zeros, one, twos, threes out of 10 during the run is okay, provided that they follow the back to baseline in 24 hours. That's the case for most, but I think for shin splints, I tend to make it a little bit less. I usually say pain levels lower than a three out of 10. So your zeros, ones, and twos. And depending on the level of irritability, I like people to get back to baseline in less than 12 hours rather than 24. So just putting a little bit, a few more parameters around those pain rules. Um, I also mentioned with Dwayne about getting an accurate diagnosis because a lot of people, just because they have pain in their shin area, they naturally gravitate towards shin splints. It's like, without any other investigations or any other assessments, like, yep, it's shin splints because it's pain where the shin is. And because it's so common, you know, you might be just assuming that it might be shin splints, but there's other diagnoses that can fit similar characteristics. Compartment syndrome is one of them. A stress fracture is one of them. And stress fractures of the, the tibia can be quite, um, it's a common area for stress fractures, I guess I should say. Um, questions to ask yourself is if you do have bilateral shin splints, so if you have it on the right and the left, odds are it's not a stress fracture and it might be shin splints. Um, compartment syndrome can be on both sides. Uh, the location, if, if it's pain around the shin bone and it's a little bit more focal, so like you can pinpoint it, it's kind of like a couple of centimeters in terms of its pain location rather than a couple of inches might increase the likelihood that it's bone stress reaction rather than shin splints. So a few things to ask yourself and just bear in mind. A patron question from Stephanie says, is it okay to ice shin splints soreness after running? Um, are there any other recovery options you suggest? I'll dive into some treatment and prevention stuff in a second, but to go back to your question, Stephanie, about the ice, um, I think it's okay if it helps settle down symptoms, but we sort of don't want to get into that situation where you require the ice in the first place. So if you go for a run and pain is less than a three out of 10, and then things are returning less than 12 hours, if you're following those pain rules, I don't think you should be compelled or drawn to an ice pack to say, oh, I need this ice on my shins to make things feel better. So if you are feeling like you are drawing towards the ice pack to alleviate symptoms, you've probably done a little bit too much. Um, ice in a general sense, especially for running related injuries, doesn't really harm or help long-term. It might help short-term settle down symptoms because if you numb an area, it just sort of numbs pain signals. And so that can be helpful for some people, but it's not a long-term solution. So just bear that in mind. It doesn't do any harm either. The treatment I mentioned with Dwayne were things like orthotics. Orthotics can be helpful. 
Um, I usually like to use them trial and error. Uh, if you prescribe uh, orthotics, mainly for walking and symptoms are a lot better, by all means, start using them. Tape can also be effective if you YouTube tape shin for shin splints or tape calf for shin splints. That can help some people. And again, I think it's a bit of trial and error. If it really settles down your symptoms, that's great. The tape and orthotics, I like to use as a short-term option just to settle down symptoms. Then once things are back under control, we can start doing other measures to enhance the recovery. And then we can start weaning off those things. Gait retraining, which is just mean like changing how you're running. Particularly with shin splints, if I've seen a client who has several episodes of shin splints and I look at how they're running and they've got a narrow or crossover step width, that's something I might want to address or at least discuss with them to see if that's something they want to change. If it's uh, if they're a track athlete and they're running around a bend, um, like I said, that bending causes more pronation on one leg than the other. So if they have to do their track and field, I'll just make sure that you know, you have to run equally around clockwise and anti-clockwise around the track. Uh, but then when they're running on the flats or straight, try and widen their step width. That can help manage that injury. Um, but it's also a conversation to be had that once shin splints are better, you can go back to a narrow step width. Um, but if it keeps happening over and over and over again, maybe it's something Maybe it's a conversation to have whether it is permanent or not making that change. When it comes to treatment, load management, the the biggest thing, it's backing off whether it's hills, speed, mileage, um, different types of shoes, backing off things that really irritate and then just slowly like managing that load so that symptoms are back under control and then slowly building things up from there and strengthening particularly the soleus. The bigger you get your soleus muscle, the, the bigger the bulk is, the more it kind of can pull on the tibia, which it needs to do, which is healthy, but it's across a bigger area. It's got more muscle bulk to kind of filter through and absorb that shock that's coming from that tibia. So just think of it in that way. And then I had a list of preventative stuff, but it's it's along the same lines as treatment. It's like gait retraining. If you have had episodes of shin splints in the past and you want to reduce that risk and you have a crossover step width, maybe it's worth widening. Uh, strength training, strengthening, get the calves, the knee, the hips really strong. That could be really good. So strength train twice a week. A well-structured running program. Like I said, a lot of these are, are caused by abrupt changes. And if you have a well-structured running program, it's reducing your likelihood of those abrupt changes. And the last preventive tip that I had here was just recognizing your past errors. So if you have had shin splints, let's go back through your running program and say, what went wrong? Was it the hills? Was it shoes? Was it the particular slope or terrain or around the bend in a track? Identify what went wrong, and then you can make sure that that error doesn't happen again in the future. Okay, the other shin splint episode that I've had on the Run Smarter feed is uh it was later in the release maybe episode 150 something but it was shin splints is there a solution with ben Lindsay? and he is um i think he was an engineer anyway he has the product called the solution and 
it's essentially like a sleeve that, or like a compression sleeve that goes over your calf. So, you know, below the knee, above the ankle and has several straps that are, have a few different, um, foam tips that sort of pin down certain areas of the lower leg to help with shin splints. So you wear it after your run and avoids or like reduces the risk of irritation or helps with the management, helps you recover quicker. And so I talked with Ben, we had a deep discussion about shin splints and the pathophysiology and uh, the research behind his product. Um, One of the main things was about the correct diagnosis and talking Ben highlights pretty much what I was saying before about everyone just assumes that when there's shin pain that it's shin splints, but we need to be very careful about a correct diagnosis. Um, about the debating theories of if it's bone stress or fascial traction. Ben says that looking at the research, there's probably a little bit of an interplay between both. And he sort of suspects that those who return quite quickly, they might be more in the fascial traction camp. Those who don't reply as quickly to treatment or, you know, struggling to overcome the shin splints there may be in the bone stress camp there might be some sort of connection there so that was quite interesting and karen if you are um still i guess if you still have more questions about the diagnosis and the pathophysiology you can have a listen to that episode because yeah we dive into it a little bit more but like i said about uh what is happening with the pathophysiology you probably don't need to know what's going on if you're getting better do this management, go through the treatment and the prevention and the load management and all those things that we've discussed already. And if you see improvements week by week, doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter what's going on. As long as you're managing it correctly, it doesn't come back. Um, And yeah, you're seeing significant improvement. Who cares if it's the bone? Who cares if it's fascial traction? You're doing what's helping your body heal and recover. And then you're learning from your mistakes that caused in the first place. So then we're reducing the risk of injury. If you're battling through shin splints, potentially, well, I highly recommend checking out Ben's episode to look at the solution as well to see if that's something that might interest you um, because we do go into his experience because this is like a medical grade device. It's not something like a compression sleeve, which doesn't really get tested that much and gets marketed heavily. And they point at some flimsy studies and say it delivers this, but certain braces and compression stuff and garments, like they aren't classified as a medical grade device. They can just freely use those claims or, you know, use these flimsy studies, but this is a particular product that Ben discusses it. He he talks through the trials. He talks through um, the clinical outcomes and what they found. And so it's really interesting, um, particularly the bias side of things and making sure that everything was really down the line. They actually did a a blinded test where they had athletes with shin splints. They gave them this solution device and then they gave them what they called was like a placebo or just another device that kind of looked the same but just didn't have the same... Um, method. And he was saying that participants in the trial before, well, like during the sign-up, those who said, I want to have the non-placebo, I want to be in the non-placebo group. As soon as you ask that question, you're excluded from the study, (laughs) which I found really fascinating. And he said that happened 30 or 40 times. 
And so the sample size they came up with was a little bit smaller, but they said it still reached significance. And so if you want to dive into the science of those sorts of things, which I find fascinating, um, have a listen to, to Ben's episode. Uh, ben also warned people that things like hands-on treatment, massage guns, massages, like all the those sort of passive hands-on therapies, they can be okay, but should never be done in isolation, never purely relying on the hands-on stuff. So just bear that in mind. It's not effective in the long term. Uh, it can be done for a short term if then combined with one of those long-term solutions. So those treatments that I listed them off before, and I'll do the same in, in the recap in a second. Um, the, the other thing that we haven't discussed, which I don't usually have as my go-to, like in my list of, he- the list in my head of shin splint advice, but Ben mentioned, which I thought was really key to include, is replacing old running shoes. If you have wear and tear, particularly those that chew on the inside of the heel, if you're a heel striker and you've got this chewing away in the media, like on the inside of the shoe, that can gently rock you into a bit more pronation. And if you do have shin splints and then you get new shoes where it doesn't have that chewing, then that could limit the amount of pronation, could make it significantly better. So just something to bear in mind. Okay, let me scroll all the way up to the top to my notes and we'll quickly recap. So competing theories about what actually causes shin splints could be a mild bone stress reaction or bend from the tibia, or it could be more of a traction as the connective tissue attaches onto the shin bone. Don't really need to worry too much about it. Presenting condition, so it's usually in the distal third of the tibia towards the foot and on the inside border of the shin. Mainly caused by overload, but um, other risk factors would be increased weight, previous risk of injury, maybe a lower cadence. In my opinion, changes, abrupt changes into harder surfaces, abrupt changes in terrain that might increase your pronation, crossover step width. And if you do have shin splints, I like to be on the conservative side of symptoms. So less than a three out of 10 during activity that settles back down to baseline in less than 12 hours. Treatment, short-term treatment includes maybe orthotics, tape. You can do some of the other hands-on therapies if on an individual level, if it makes you feel better. Other treatment includes gait retraining, definitely load management and strengthening the soleus muscle. You can do that with bent knee calf raises. Look it up. It's a good exercise to start doing. Um, You can do wall sits on your toes but you can look at bent knee calf raises and get started on those. On a prevention side of things, gait retraining, strengthening twice a week, having a really well-structured program. And if you're still stuck, have a listen to Ben's episode and then you can have a look at maybe getting the solution or sign up for a 20-minute injury chat with me. The link is in the show notes of every episode. Hope you enjoyed today's episode and remember... Every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, 
who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.